Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer. It may be so ingrained in your life that you've learned to ignore it, but every day it's harming you physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah looks at stress. With good news for believers under stress, straight from Jesus himself, who showed us how to conquer anxiety. Here's David to introduce his special message, How to Live Under Pressure. And thank you for joining us. I, I picture uh, somebody driving around in their car uh, right now. They, they, they're thinking, I guess I'll turn over to the music station. And then they heard me say stress, and they, they, maybe I should listen to this. I can't imagine there's ever been a time when we have felt more stress about life. Uh, I kind of made a list this morning. I'm not going to share it with you because it, it's discouraging, and I don't want to add to your stress. I want to help relieve it. But stress comes when we start feeling pressure from every side. And today we're going to talk about that. This is the last day of the month of May, so it's the last day I can tell you about the special offer we have for May. It's 10 questions Christians are asking. It is a beautiful book that we have created that contains all the content for all the series of the whole month of May. You want to get this book and add it to your library. It answers a lot of questions people will ask you and probably a few that you're asking yourself. The book is available only today. This is the last day. After today, this offer goes away. So please, whatever you do, make sure you send a gift of any size to Turning Point. And when you send your gift, ask for your copy of the book, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking. Don't forget, there's also a CD album you can get with all of the audio teaching uh, from this past month. Well, today we're going to get started with this message on how to live under pressure. So open your Bibles, open your heart. Let's see if we can relieve your stress a little bit today. As we continue our study of Mark's gospel, we're going to observe a pattern that is pretty prevalent throughout the whole book. It's kind of the rhythm of Jesus' life as he moves toward the cross. He faces pressure and confrontation. Then he retreats to the wilderness or to the seashore. And then the people find out where he is, and they come to him. And then he faces the pressure again, and he has to move to another place. Matthew tells us, as we begin to look at these verses in Mark chapter 3, Matthew's account of this particular time in Jesus' life reads like this. Matthew 12, 14, and 15. Then the Pharisees went out, and they plotted against Jesus how they might destroy him. And when Jesus knew it, he withdrew 
from there. Now, what I want to do in this message as we look at this passage together is, first of all, to try to convey to you the magnitude of the pressure Jesus lived under. And then I want to show you how he managed it, and it will be very insightful for all of us. So we begin, first of all, with the magnitude of a pressured life, verses 7 through 11 in the third chapter. Notice, first of all, the crowds that came to Jesus. But Jesus withdrew and his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan, and from Tyre and Sidon. A great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. Now, the geographical information in this first paragraph does not register with us until we dig a little bit deeper. What we are meant to understand by these words is simply this. Jesus has now become an international celebrity. You see, Galilee was very densely populated, and so the majority of the people who would have been with Jesus that day would have been from Galilee. But the Scripture tells us that people also came on this particular day from Judea and Jerusalem. That's, by the way, a hundred-mile journey through the desert from Jerusalem to Galilee. And people also came from Idumea, which is the modern city of Edom, which was even further away. And the Bible goes on to tell us that travelers also came from the Transjordan area and the coastal cities of Tyre and Sidon. In essence, the radius of Jesus' notoriety is greatly enlarged. His circle of influence has become huge, and everybody wants to be where he is. Equally remarkable is the ethnic diversity of the crowd. Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem were primarily Jewish territories. But Idumea and Transjordan were mixed Jewish and Gentile people, and Tyre and Sidon were totally Gentiles. Here's a major shift in our Lord's strategy to accomplish his purpose on this earth. He is making a break here with organized religion in order to extend his message to the masses. Interestingly enough, he only appears in the synagogue one more time in the entire book of Mark. The Bible tells us here that a crowd gathered, and the word is used three times in the text, and it's described twice by the word great, a great crowd gathered. I think we're getting a picture of the popularity of Jesus. It accelerated. It's out of control. You say, how many people do you think were there? Well, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly, but a little bit later on we're told that Jesus fed 5,000 men, which means there were at least 5,000 women and a few kids. There was probably 15,000 people there that day. That's probably about the size of the crowd he was dealing with when all these things were happening to him. The crowds that came to him. Notice, secondly, the commotion that crushed him. Verse 9, so he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. The multitudes that came to Jesus that day were both thrilling and threatening. (laughs) I mean, the word crowd in this passage actually is the word for the word crush. And these people had traveled many miles. They had come to see this miracle worker, and they were not going to be denied. 
This is a scene of great commotion. And in order to avoid being crushed by the hordes of the people, Jesus had to put together a special plan. And the Bible says that he came up with this plan. He got one of his disciples to get a small boat and have it waiting at the shore. This is the first of eight passages in the book of Mark where we're going to have a story about a boat. What Jesus is saying, if I need to get away out of here quick, I need somebody to drive my getaway car. (laughs) Somebody said Peter probably was doing this. You know, Peter would be a good getaway car driver, wouldn't he? (laughs) So whenever we're under pressure, listen to me now. Whenever you and I are under pressure, we need to recall Jesus ministering to the crowd so pressured that he had to keep the car running and the doors open for a quick getaway. (laughs) The crowds that came to him and the commotion that crushed him But notice what this was all about, the curiosity that chased him, verses 10 and 11. First of all, the Bible says he healed people with diseases. Notice verse 10, for he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. Now the word afflictions here in the text is a very special word for a special kind of affliction. It's kind of a plague or a scourge or an outward condition that was obviously agonizing and painful. In other words, when you saw a person like that, you knew immediately they were sick. They had a problem. They were physically impaired. The Bible says that these people came from all of these regions and they gathered with Jesus there by the shore and they pressed to get next to him. This is a picture of wild confusion, similar to the modern groupies who try to touch their famous movie star or their pop singer They're pushing and shoving, and they're trying to get near so they can touch the body of Jesus. But not only is he healing people with diseases, he's also healing people with demons. Notice verse 11, and the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, you are the son of God. What irony there is in this moment. The demons know Jesus is the son of God, And the masses only think of Jesus as a miracle worker who can fix whatever's wrong with them. And here is Jesus, listen to me now, standing in the midst of it all. Let me summarize his pressure once more. The sick and the feverish and the crippled are grabbing at him. The demon-possessed are screaming at him. The Pharisees stand aloof and stare at him, hoping he will make a mistake for which they can accuse him. The pressure that Jesus felt in his humanity in that moment was like nothing most of us will ever experience no matter what we go through in life. He was living under intense pressure. Got it? How do you manage this kind of pressure? I want to give you five things. First, Jesus rebooted. Here's what Jesus is doing. When all these people are crushing him to be healed and for the demons to come after him like they did. What Jesus is doing is he's rebooting. He's backing up and he's saying, look, this is not my purpose for being here. My purpose for being here is not all of this miraculous stuff that you all are seeing. And I need to go back to the main purpose for which I've come. I need to get back to the operating system in my life and do what I know God has called me to do. I see what the Lord Jesus does in this passage. All this pressure he's facing. And he says, no, wait a minute. No, this is not who I am. This is not what I do. Don't you tell people what's going on here. I'm not here 
to do miracles. I'm here to preach the wonderful gospel message. Reboot. Anybody here need a reboot? (laughs) Amen. Number two, he retreated. This is the next thing he did. After Jesus reboots, he retreats. The Bible tells us that he went up to a mountain. (laughs) He retreated. Jesus often did that. Did you know that? Jesus was the person who spent time alone. He did. And it's such an encouragement to me. Here's the Son of God. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, and he has to get away. Who am I to think that I can live life and not have moments of retreat? I'm sure you found that helpful. I know that when I'm about to hit the wall, I have an internal system in here. I don't even know how to describe it. I just know it. And when it happens, I look at the people around me and I say, that's it, I'm out of here. I'll see you in a couple days. And I retreat. I should be more proactive about that. I shouldn't let my system dictate it. I should do it myself. But at least when my system speaks, I listen. If you're going to make it through the times of pressure in your life, you first reboot, then you retreat. Thirdly, you refresh. That's another computer term, but we won't use it that way today. The Bible tells us that when Jesus went to the mountain that day, he didn't just go up there and sit and think. He went up there to pray. Luke tells us in his account of this event in Luke 6, 12, that it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountains to pray and he continued all night in prayer to God. Surely this ought to be on the list of all of us when we're under pressure. Reboot, retreat, refresh, pray. How should you pray when it's like that in your life? You know, the Bible tells us that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. And I remember when we were in the book of Hebrews and we studied that, one of the things that came out to me was this. That text, that phrase means, say it all to God. And when you read the Psalms, especially the Psalms of David, you will see that's what David did. When he was under pressure, whatever was going on in his life, he would say it all to God. He would say, Lord God, this is what's going on in my life. Someone once told me that all the Psalms of David begin with a sigh and they end with a song. But we usually want to get to the song. We don't tell God what's going on in our life. One of the things you do when you're under pressure is you reboot, you retreat, and you refresh, and you pray, and you tell God what's going on, and you have a little talk with Jesus to make it right. And then after you reboot and you retreat and you refresh, here's a very insightful thing. You reconnect. Verse 13 says, And Jesus called to him those he himself wanted. Jesus is in the mountain. He's away from the pressure. But now that he's prayed, now that he's rebooted, now that he's refreshed, he calls some friends to his side. Notice what it says about these people. He called to him those that he himself wanted. He didn't just put out a clarion call, y'all come. He got the people that he knew he could trust, the people that were closest to him, and he called them to himself. You see, after you do the first three steps, the next thing is you need to share your life with others. I need to tell you, friends, when you face the unbridled pressures of life, you need to understand that you don't have to face them alone. And like Jesus, we can call to ourselves those who we trust, and we reconnect with them, and we discover strength and hope for the journey. 
So that's four of the five. You reboot, you retreat, you refresh, you reconnect. And the last one to me is amazing. You reorganize. Notice what happens next. The Bible says that Jesus called to himself those whom he wanted to be with him. And now verse 14, and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. Hello? What has Jesus been doing? He's been preaching. He's been healing the sick. And he's been casting out demons. And all of a sudden, because of the magnitude of the crowd and the pressure of the day, he goes, Jesus in his humanity says, I need to get some people to help me do this. So he calls 12 men to be his ambassadors, his representatives, his disciples, his apostles. The word apostle means sent one. And he sends 12 more out to do what he's been doing. And he shares the burden that he carries with others. In our culture today, we call that delegation. What an amazing thing to find in the Bible. Jesus delegating the pressures of his busy life with 12 men. And so here is Jesus walking through the pressures of life. You see, sometimes we think when Jesus became a man, that he became a man, but not like us. That he didn't face, if Jesus didn't feel the pressures you and I face, then the incarnation was a meaningless experience. He came to be one of us so that he could experience all that we experience. The Bible says he was tested in every way as we are, yet apart from sin. And here is Jesus facing the pressures like the pressures you and I feel. Looking back over this passage, you have conflict with religious leaders, a break from the religious norms of the day, a suffocating crowd that follows Jesus everywhere with their bottomless needs, and now among his closest friends, a traitor. Yeah, Lord, I know you know what I'm going through. I read the book of Mark today, Jesus. I read what you experienced. I know that my problems aren't anything to the ones you faced. But thank you for going before me and showing me the way. The Bible tells us that Jesus called these 12 men to himself for three reasons. Number one, that they might share his presence. Verse 14 says he appointed 12 that they might be with him. Jesus wanted these men not just to hang along with him. He wasn't looking for tag-alongs. He was looking for people that would come and get underneath his burden and share his heart. Jesus called them to share his presence. And then Jesus called them, secondly, to share his purpose. The Bible says in verse 14, he appointed 12 that he might send them out to preach. What the Lord Jesus is going to do with these 12 men is replicate himself in their lives. He's going to share with them the whole purpose for which he has come. He's going to bring them together around that which God has called him to do. He's going to try to get in their hearts what is in his heart. How many of you know that that's one of the great tasks of a leader? To get everybody on the same team. To get everybody coalescing around the same goals and purposes. What Jesus was doing was calling these men to share his purpose. He preached. They're going to preach. 
He healed the sick, and they will have the same power. He cast out demons, and so will they. But they need to come from the same place that Jesus is coming from. And then, thirdly, he called these men to him, not only to share his presence and his purpose, but his power. Believe it or not, Jesus gave to the apostles the power to do what he was doing. In the afterglow of the ministry of Jesus, the apostles continued to do many of the miracles that Jesus did to authenticate the truth of the message they were preaching. Now, there's so much more here that I'd like to tell you about, but as we kind of wrap ourselves around this truth today, here's what we learned. There is no temptation taken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful and will, with the temptation, make a way for you to escape. The Bible says that we share with Jesus the commonality of our humanity. He became one of us. He was made like unto his brethren. And because of that, we now have someone in heaven who understands us. And we can come boldly before his throne and we can say, Lord Jesus, these are my pressures and I don't have to explain them to you because you've been there and done that. I'm going to take your counsel from Mark chapter 3. I'm going to put some of these principles in, but I need your help, Lord. And you can count on it. If you're on his team, he's on yours. You don't have to do this by yourself. If I felt like I had to live under the pressures that come my way and I was doing this on my own, I'd be out of here tomorrow. But I have someone who's my partner, someone who's my helper, someone who strengthens me, who's already proven that he knows what to do in any given situation. He's worthy of my trust. And when I put my trust in him, the power that we have together with the shared purpose is beyond anything I could ever have on my own. Let me review one more time. Reboot. What is it God calls you to do? Let me tell you something. There's a big difference between what God calls you to do and what God's people call you to do. A lot of people will tell you what you're supposed to be doing, and maybe you should listen to that, but don't take it too seriously, and especially if it conflicts with what God's plan for your life is. Find out the plan God has for your life. Reboot it. Take some time alone to refresh and think about that. Pray. Connect with people you trust and interact with them about your life. And then get some folks to help you. You don't have to do this by yourself. I have great hope today in my heart. God is sufficient for all that we face. Whatever the challenge may be in my life, in my church, in my country, I'm in partnership with the creator of the world. And he's promised nothing but good for those who put their trust in him. And if you don't know him, if you've heard about Jesus, but you don't have a relationship with him, I recommend him to you. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't know him, you think there's pressure in the Christian faith? You are headed for some real challenges. When you have Jesus on your side, there's nothing you will ever face that you can't do. And I urge you, if you've never trusted him as your savior, to do it today. You know, going into uh, the period of time that is before us without the Lord Jesus Christ sounds like a really bad idea. If you do not know Jesus Christ, he's waiting to come and live within your life to empower you to live above the level of your own personal capabilities. He wants to help you, and he will. 
Well, we finish up this series on 10 questions Christians are asking, and we're following it up beginning uh, tomorrow with um, a reprise of the series Spiritual Warfare. We've chosen it specifically for this time. We are at war. Not at war in the physical sense, although there's some of that. We are at war spiritually. Never before at this level, I promise you. So we need to go back and make sure we have all of our strategies, all of our armament, all of our determinations in order as we open the month of June uh, tomorrow with the series, Spiritual Warfare, the Armor of the Believer. Well, today I've told you about all the things that we have made available during the month of May. I hope you'll take advantage of them. But don't forget also, we publish a magazine. This magazine is uh, filled with incredible truth to help you. It's meant to add value to your life. It coordinates with what we're talking about on the radio, tells you where we're going at Turning Point, gives you additional information about uh, all kinds of questions that you, you may want some answers to. And there's a section in there that tells you how you can be involved with Turning Point, how you can help us do what we do as we share the gospel around the world. The magazine is yours for the asking, but you have to ask. Please send your request to us. We'll send the next issue to you. And one additional thought. We've also made possible uh, the devotional content being delivered to your own email. So uh, if you are looking for some devotional thoughts to begin each day, if you sign up for this, it's free. We'll send every day's devotional content to you. When you get up in the morning, you'll open up your email box, and there it'll be ready for you to use. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's special message, How to Live Under Pressure, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's hardcover book, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, and learn to live with greater confidence. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries for instant access to our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we begin the series Spiritual Warfare here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. At the end of the Civil War, General Robert E. Lee, commander of the Confederate armies, said, We have fought this fight as long and as well as we know how. We have been defeated. For us, as a Christian people, there is now but one course to pursue. We must accept the situation. That's an example of victory in defeat. 
Whitley wasn't angry. He didn't rail against the victor. He didn't make excuses. He graciously accepted that his will wasn't going to prevail. Jesus did the same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Not my will, but your will be done. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how to submit to God's will on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.